as I started working with these businesses over time, I kind of made a shift from just doing the technology for them to really learning about the business itself and starting to see what actually worked marketing-wise. So what were they doing that was successful or what did they try that wasn't successful? And next thing you know, fast forward, quite a few years. And I'm like, well, we have a portfolio of clients that are doing sometimes millions of dollars a year in online business that grew from nothing or from very little. And we've been on that journey along with them the entire time. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I've got serial entrepreneur and badass business owner, Matt Inglot. Matt owns several businesses, including Freelance Transformation that helps freelancers grow more successful freelance businesses, and Tilted Pixel, his agency that helps grow membership website companies. Now, I met Matt years ago when he actually invited me on his podcast about freelance transformation. And we've stayed in touch ever since because we're just so aligned in our philosophy on business and because he was also solely focused on helping service businesses grow for the longest time. So he was just a perfect match for me. And so I'm bringing him back and we're going to chat about all kinds of things today, including the hard truth about moving from service business to passive income business and what it really takes to succeed, Matt's evolution from owning an agency to building a product business back to scaling his agency and why he made the shifts that he did, how over-the-top marketing messaging is messing with all of our brains, and so much more. So buckle up, here we go. Matt Inglot, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Pia. It's been a long time uh, since we've chatted. It's been years, but I never forgot about you. And you know what stuck out to me? <laughs> Actually, one thing like, you know, weird things you remember. <laughs> it was because at the time you were running Freelance Transformation. I, of course, was over here talking about my, you know, small service business branding and business strategies. And I think I shared with you the 50-25-25 rule. And you were like, yeah, I kind of came to the same conclusion. And I talk about that same idea of you need to make a certain... Your, the amount of money you need to make in a very specific amount of time. And you were probably the only person I interacted with in this entire time promoting this stuff who just knew exactly what I was talking about because you had come to the same conclusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like in my case, of a huge conclusion that I reached when I was trying to get my business off the ground and build at that point, just build websites for people was that getting more clients wasn't actually good for you. <laughs> the problem was that you just end up basically quickly getting overwhelmed and you end up with that feast or famine cycle. So the goal was, okay, let's sell, sell, sell. And then like, let's do the work, let's do the work. And then let's sell, sell, sell. And eventually you crash and burn doing that. And of course, that's exactly what happened to me. And then I kind of smartened up and realized, well, wait a minute, there's a small percentage of our clients that are actually kind of quote profitable in the sense that they're actually keeping my business going, they're putting food on the table, and I'm only putting you know so much percentage of my time with those clients. And then the other 80% of my time is on these smaller jobs that just aren't big enough to really generate any sort of real income. Because by the time you spend all of your time selling to those clients, servicing those clients, you know they bring in a few thousand dollars. Well... <laughs> I mean, that might sound like a good hourly rate if it takes you maybe a couple hours to do the work for them, but it's a terrible hourly rate if you look back onto how long it took you to get those clients in the first place. And I clued in is that you need a few clients, but you need them to be a certain size and you need to be able to serve them with a certain percentage of your time, which then I guess comes back to, you know, what the things you've been teaching and realizing with your role. And and that's the only way you can make it work, right? Because you're not going to be able to spend your entire your entire work week working on client work. That's actually just one slice of time and then there's all this other stuff you have to do. Well, so how did this start for you? So you started as a web designer, developer? 
Yeah, I, I started basically in university and school. And okay. basically, I was paying my own way through school. My parents didn't have the money to like send me to school or anything. I had to kind of earn my keep. And I was doing that by working for a startup. I was super lucky and I managed to somehow talk my way into like a 20 hour a week job working at a tech startup and then going to school at the same time, which was a dream come true for a few months until I walked in one day and the mood of the office was kind of off. Like the lights were literally dimmer and there was less people. And I kind of like look around, but I don't think too much of it. You know, I'm just go to my workstation, sit down to log into my computer and I can't log in. Says my password doesn't work. So I go to talk to my manager and that's how I found out that they had laid off a third of a company that day including me. Oh, man. <laughs> That's how they told you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't there for that meeting because I was working part-time. So I found out the hard way by not being able to log in. And then, yeah, I mean, a year later, they were bankrupt. So unfortunately, I had to figure out how to actually continue paying for my tuition and paying for like rent and everything else. I mean, I was living on my own. So I started building websites for people. And that was 15 years ago. And here wow. we are. Wow. Okay. So you started building websites for people. So, I mean, I, I different journey, but same basic idea. And I think a lot of people go through this. It's like you have this skill and you start doing it for people. And then, <laughs> and then you get into that feast or famine cycle. Everybody gets into that feast or famine cycle because we're all just doing whatever we think makes sense. Like, oh, you want to give me money to do this? Great. And then you just start doing that for lots of people. And very quickly, you'll be overworked. But you, as you figured out, like what was going to work better for you, you didn't just do that for yourself. You built this company called Freelance Transformation. Yeah, it, that was an interesting journey. So basically, after I had been at this for several years and kind of worked out what works and what didn't, I decided, well, you know what, I'm going to start my own online business as well. And I'm going to start teaching this stuff. And I'm going to blog about it. I'm going to start a podcast and basically do something that's a little bit different than just running what at that point was my little agency. That was 2015, I want to say. That okay. I kind of kicked it off, maybe 2016, but somewhere in that range, right? So I started a podcast, hence how you and I met. I had you on the show at some point, which was an awesome episode, and it's still out there. I encourage everyone uh, to check it out. But basically, that was kind of going to be like another evolution for me. And it was an interesting journey because as part of that, I basically got to do a deep dive into services businesses. So not just looking into what worked for mine, but I got to connect with all of these other freelancers and agency owners and learn what worked for them and what didn't work for them. And it almost became like getting, it almost felt like getting an MBA and service businesses because I got to learn from so many other people and we got to share uh, so much. And so as I was going on that journey with freelance transfer, my agency started to transform as well, ironically. And it became more and more focused. The types of clients that we focused on became more and more niche to like at this point, what we actually do is we work with membership site businesses, period. And ones that are basically making half a million dollars a year or more, um, they're trying to grow their membership. And that's sort of the positioning that I came upon after many, many iterations and a lot of what I learned from freelance transformation. And eventually as time went on, the agency kind of shifted back as being the primary focus for me because it just got so exciting. And we started growing into all of these new services and doing these new things. And I just found like, wait a minute, I actually really like running my agency. I, I like doing client work. And I kind of came back full circle to doing that most of my time. Gotcha. So to recap, you started in the web design, web web development design space, and then started writing about it. And then through the process of building this brand around teaching other people, actually, I mean, I don't know, you I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but I had a similar experience in that the writing of it kind of almost reinforced the ideas that I was experiencing in my agency and yep. then also forcing me to articulate them in a way that made them maybe stronger so that I would listen to them more. So when I hear you say like, oh, it's niching even more, like I, I'm 
going to go out on a limb here and guess that when you talk about freelancing and how to freelance well, you're talking about niching is really valuable and important. So and the more you preach this stuff, the more you're like, wow, I, I could, should really do that more and more in my own agency, <laughs> right? And then that actually made your agency more successful. Yeah, it's like they say, uh, the best way to learn something is to teach it. Yes. It really is. And that's exactly what happened here. That's so cool. How did you end up in memberships specifically? So it was largely a process of experimentation. So, and, and just actually looking carefully at what was working in my business and what wasn't. So as these things tend to go, it started off by accident. As you start, as you start your service business and you get your first few clients, they're going to happen to be in some sort of business or industry. And hopefully at some point, one or a few of them end up being clients that you realize, hey, wait a minute, we were able to make a pretty big impact for them. Maybe we should find more of those types of clients. So in my case, I happened to luck out in the sense that several of my initial clients were online businesses. And that was just a really exciting world for me because even before I had started building websites for people, I had my own software product that I was selling online. And that's something that I did during high school and it was actually a lot of fun. I had to figure a out- A different like, business. A different business. Yeah. I had to figure out like payment processing and everything in high school. That, that's where it all started. So that those were fun clients for me. And, and unfortunately, sometimes I don't learn as quickly as I should. So rather than just doing what seems obvious now and just focusing on finding more clients that ran online businesses, I took on everyone under the sun. So we had like construction companies and like dental clinics and like whatever the business was, we would take it on. But these online businesses were special because they needed us more than the other companies. So like if someone has say a dental clinic, they basically need a nice professional website that tells you about the dental practice, and if you can achieve those goals for them, that's kind of it, right? They don't need you for much more afterwards unless you start getting into other services. Whereas with the online businesses, the difference was that website was their store. That was their business. And so they were constantly upgrading them, building new features, building new functionality, redeveloping things. So basically as they grew, then their need for us actually grew as well. Doesn't really happen with a dental clinic, right? If they get five more, if they get five more dentists, you, they might need you to update the About Us page. That's about it. Whereas here, it was serious money and it was ongoing money. Mm -hmm. And as I started working with these businesses over time, I kind of made a shift from just doing the technology for them to really learning about the business itself and starting to see what actually worked marketing wise. So how, what, what were they doing that was successful or what did they try that wasn't successful? And next thing you know, fast forward quite a few years and I'm like, well, we have a portfolio of clients that are doing sometimes millions of dollars a year in online business that grew from nothing or from very little. And we've been on that journey along with them the entire time and over time advised them and helped them make decisions that made them tons of money. So suddenly we as an agency can be very impactful for these people. So that's where I kind of said, okay, well, maybe we should just focus on those and specifically membership sites, because that was sort of the segment of online businesses where we knew the most. And now it's not even that we'll build your membership site for you. I mean, we can do that and we'll do a good job. But the real valuable moneymaker for you and for us is now all the marketing and consulting stuff that we do to help that business actually grow. Mm. I love that story so much because what it illustrates is what I think is a, is a key characteristic ingredient of the entrepreneurs I know that are most successful, which is, you know, this constant, um, it's not really a pivot. It's more just like, like, like mini course correction. Oh, look all over here. Oh, we should focus there. Oh, we need to learn a little bit more about this. Like, oh, there's an opportunity here. So let me learn, add this to my skill set. understanding that, that 
if we're going to, we can focus here, there's opportunity and there's more opportunity if we add these skills. I know it's harder when you're just one person, but it's still an opportunity. I talk to a lot of one person agencies and they go, oh, but I don't know how to do X. And I go, okay, well learn. You know, I didn't know how to do X either (laughs) until I learned how to do it. So in the same vein, being kind of hungry to learn those aspects. And in an agency specifically, there's always more that you can add. And there's especially in marketing, marketing's kind of the obvious add on, right? And for you, that's like not only a great upsell or a great add on, but it's also critical for them because membership sites, they they probably they always need that. They always need that kind of help. And, and especially because it's always going to be growing. So I just love that that story. Can you tell me a little bit more about the kinds of memberships that you like? What is a membership site? Like explain that to us. Yeah, that's a good question because to me it's obvious. But when I talk about them, I actually turns out just mean a certain subset of membership sites. And that's basically the online businesses that you see where you can join for some sort of monthly fee and receive something in return. So oftentimes they're information based. So you get ongoing access to some sort of information like a stock market newsletter, for example, right? So you get updates and stock market research. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, like a Motley Fool type thing. Uh, We've got clients that sell more like digital stuff. Like, for example, we have a client that has a monthly stock membership site, stock photos. So you get unlimited access to their stock photos as long as you're paying, uh, you know, a monthly or yearly fee in order to do so. So it's basically digital products behind a monthly fee versus Mm -hmm. like it's not like a membership to triple a or something even though that is technically a membership and it's not a membership to a coaching program either yeah probably not because uh, i mean we could we probably would have something to say for a coaching business but a coaching business is not usually trying to mass scale Whereas our clients usually are like their memberships are anywhere from like, you know, 20 bucks a month to, you know, a few hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So we're talking about not too much money mass. We're looking for scaling. We're looking for keeping people on long term. And what kinds of I would assume a lot of that marketing has to just do with paid ads and funnels. Is that is that right? And is that what yeah, you do? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we ourselves don't do paid ads. Like we'll refer you to someone mm-hmm. that does, but we'll do more of the strategic aspect of marketing. So definitely something like building out a funnel would be right up our alley. And even some of the strategic decisions before building out the funnel, right? Like things like pricing. And this is where like, I love business models and I love having had a chance to study the service-based business model, the membership business model. And as you know very well, that's where there's just such huge wins, right? Because if you're thinking about your business the wrong way or trying to grow it the wrong way, like it's just gonna be an uphill slog. For one thing we discovered because I had that benefit of having worked with so many membership site clients is that you usually don't actually want to price your membership monthly. Almost always that's actually a net loss for you. And it's better to price it quarterly or yearly. Yearly is kind of the best. And that's simply because each customer that you win yearly you guarantee that you're getting at least that much revenue coming in versus they sign up for a month, they might leave two, three months later, Mm -hmm. and you've basically given them the full value of your membership, all of your best stuff, they've consumed it all, and they've up and left. And therefore, sort of the minimum price that they've paid for everything is really, really low. Mm -hmm. And then that has like knock on effects. So because your customer value is lower than how much you can afford to spend on customer acquisition shrinks because that customer might be worth $60 to you for three months versus like if they paid you $200 for a year. So it gets really interesting. And that's where we do these kind of deep dives for our clients and figure this stuff out for them. And just doing that could mean like just massively increasing your revenue without having to ever run a single Facebook ad or post a single Twitter post or anything like that. It's getting those business foundations and that business strategy right. Mm. You mean not even offering it as a monthly? 
Yeah, exactly. Or only doing monthlies in very specific circumstances like downsells. If someone's already going to cancel, then you can pitch a monthly plan to them. Like we've done the math, we've done the testing, we've mm-hmm. done everything. It's not something that we just made up. And it was actually really surprising to me. Really? Because everyone offers monthly, right? Well, but like- yeah, but that's because we assume, like, I would assume that because the monthly is going to be lower, you feel like you're going to get more mass. I mean, of course, a higher ticket offer, you're going to make more money. You, you would always rather somebody pay in full for the year, but I guess <laughs> that just makes it a higher ticket offer. So it has to, it's not going to convert as much, I would assume, but maybe not. Yeah. So basically, there's a few things that end up playing against you trying to make monthly win. And and one being that, yeah, if you take off monthlies, your conversions will drop for sure. Mm -hmm. But they won't drop enough to make up for the fact that now your average, like your average customer value has basically doubled. And that's usually the ratio that we see. Which is going right back to the original thing that we were talking about. It's the (laughs) same principle, right? Like we don't need all these low paying clients that take up all this time. We really just need fewer higher paying clients. That's the business model. Yeah, exactly. And and, in services, that's a big deal because you have to spend your time and money getting each client. And here it's kind of the same thing. Like you have to spend money acquiring each membership client. So like the actual profit is way higher. And yeah, it's the same way with business, service businesses. Now, most of my listeners are service-based businesses, right? So membership sites are not something that they're doing or thinking about necessarily, although most people listening are also probably, whether they're doing it secretly or not, because they're not listening to me, like thinking that there's some magical idea of how to have a passive income product where that'll save their behinds and make them all this money. (laughs) We know that's silly. But memberships are one of those, you know, quote, passive quote passive income or rather rather it's a model for a quote passive income product but obviously it's a whole machine and especially anything that's a income product is going to require scale so i don't know if you have an answer to this because we didn't talk about it but i'm just curious like can you give us some some insights into what kind of scale it like you need to have for it to even make sense to go into the low priced product space and Mm. i'll i'll preface this by saying the way i i did it so this is the only perspective i have on doing it is look you build a service business you use the addition like the extra the profit the money and time profit to build the brand and then with the traffic and the audience and the brand that you've built you can start to offer lower priced products but until you have audience until you have a clear way to get in front of lots of people you can't you can't convert lots of people on low paid offers which is kind of the part that i think most people who are doing service businesses miss because they think oh i you know all these people who can't quote can't afford me if i only had something cheap they would buy it it's like yeah but you put all this energy into something that's cheap and then somebody and then that person okay fine they buy it well, that's just one sale. <laughs> you need mm-hmm. you need critical mass in order to have enough sales for it to make sense. Because if I'm thinking about any of your the people you just mentioned, like stock photography or stuff, you need a lot of content for it to make sense for somebody to pay for a membership, and that's a lot of upfront costs. So again, I would love your just your gut reaction to like. What kind of scale do you think you need for it to make sense to go into the membership world? I love that question because I think about scale. I think about digital products versus service businesses basically all the time. Yeah. Like that's something that's a little thread that's always going on in my head. And it's a very interesting question because, first of all, I think service businesses get a huge bad rap here. They're oftentimes positioned as one, unscalable, which is not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's gigantic consulting companies out there. Go tell McKinsey that they couldn't scale, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like that's obviously not true. But also there's this idea that if you're selling time for money, then you're basically a sucker, right? right? And that's not the way to do it. And you need passive income and you need stuff that scales and blah, blah, blah. 
And, you know, it, there, there are some truths to that in the sense that something like a membership sc- could scale eventually. But as you kind of honed in on, the problem is that beginning. And the beginning is really rough and difficult. Where if you're <laughs> starting off of a, Brutal. So if you're starting with a service-based business, you're basically getting paid for your time almost right away. You might be getting paid poorly, but you're getting paid. Where what people leave out with stuff like memberships and other online businesses is at the beginning, you're not getting paid. It's an upfront investment in time and money. And people underestimate what that actually looks like. So for example, a freelance transformation, I got some pretty decent traction pretty quickly. But that's because I basically chose to devote a fairly substantial sum of time and money in order to buy that growth, essentially. So I'd be going to conferences, right? And basically buying my way into the right crowd in order to get the right people, in order to reach the right audiences, in order to be able to get my information and products and everything out there. It was not cheap and the labor behind it was insane. So like I was basically losing money for a long time and I was working 20 hours a week. So I'd be working 20 hours on my agency actually making money and then I'd be working the other 20 hours a week losing money, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not easy and you know this of course because you went that route you started your service business and then you started growing an audience you know the pain and difficulty of growing an audience and that's basically sort of that upfront fee is if you want what when you say you need scale in order to start a membership site, like really what you're saying is you need an audience, right? You need people following you. And like, if we're gonna be frank, that usually means an email list. Like the stereotypical online business, even today is still built around an email list. That is where that money comes from. And then the challenge online businesses have is they have to grow that list. And so they have to get people subscribing to their email list uh, somehow. And that might mean things like podcast appearances. That might mean things like guest posting. That might mean things like spending tons and tons of money on Facebook ads. And let me tell you, Facebook ads ain't cheap, especially in the niches everyone wants to target. So none of this stuff is free. None of this stuff is easy. And then even if you've done all that, you've built the list, you still need a product that your list wants, and you still need to build an entire funnel for selling that product. So this is a multi-year journey for most people unless you're already like experienced in this stuff. And that's kind of the dirty secret of a lot of this stuff is when you see someone that appears to have started this super successful online business from nothing, there's a very good chance that if you look into their past, they've been working at this for a while. They've been acquiring skills. They've had other jobs or other experiences. They didn't learn funnel building overnight. No. Unless like there, there might be the you know, 10% that are just naturals, but it's time. Smaller. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with any of this. It's good, but compare that to starting a service business where you can get off the ground and get going right away. And then you can make other decisions later, like yourself, you went into products, or you can decide to scale into having an agency, like there's still options there. But that that's kind of the difference is a member membership or any online business, you're basically putting in a ton of time and effort for a possible reward in the future that may or may not materialize. And if it does materialize, by the way, you're still going to be working hard. This, this other like passive income stuff, the only time it becomes passive income is when you've basically decided I'm done with the business. And then for sure, you can get payments from it for the next five years doing nothing while you slowly let it die. I've done that before with a business. <laughs> and it's kind of cool. But it's basically I was getting paid deferred payments for work I had done much earlier in my life. Right? right. Again, it's it's nothing's free. Right. Basically just gave out a interest free loan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for that validation. You know, I have been thinking a lot about this because I'm constantly interacting with people who, you know, through no fault of their own, feel like, oh, no, but that passive income product, like, or that, you know, I can create a product and I need that second source of income and all of that. And I'm just going to open it up on the side. The thing that I've been trying to figure out, and I'm curious if you have had the same experience, is why is this the message? My theory is that 
there's so much marketing messaging out there that says this is fast, easy, cheap, whatever to do, because that is what marketing messaging does. Like that's what affect a lot of, I mean, it's, it's changing now actually, but a lot of effective marketing messaging over the year in the recent years has been, Hey, you know, this thing that you want, here's how to do it easily, cheaply, quickly. And so because we're bombarded with that messaging, it's just like in our brains, it's in our bones, like we believe it. And it's not that these people are necessarily lying. It's just that as marketers, I'm a marketer too. I know what these tricks are. I'm trying to do them, you know, without, and you can do it. You can say that things are cheap, easy, fast, whatever, and not lie because there's always another story to it. So just to your point like that, there's a, there's always the story. Yeah, I just opened this business, but I spent 10 years working under Tony Robbins, you know? Oh, I I just I just opened this and and made $100,000 in my first launch, up, but I spent $200,000 and I already had an audience of 100,000 people. You know, it's like what is the missing piece because it's never cheap, easy, and fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're spot on. Like, I, I was basically going to say the same thing. I, I think the messaging has a lot to do with it. I don't think it's anything new, though. I mean, this stuff existed way before the internet. And this is basically just the latest iteration. Mm. Like, I have a very old book that talks about basically making your own product before we really had the internet as we knew, knew it. And it had everything to do with just like, basically like selling stuff through the mail and publishing it that way. And I'm sure people were doing this kind of stuff even before then, right? Yeah. And again, like, it's like you said, like, they're not really lying. Like, these are completely legitimate business models. The part that's being oversold is how easy and hands off and everything it is. It's basically it's it's it only ever becomes easier hands off when you've stopped growing and you've decided to just like, keep cashing the checks and at that point for sure the, those checks will arrive forever like, like, like think 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 like Seinfeld or any successful TV show they work their butts off producing Seinfeld now Seinfeld is passive income for Jerry and Larry and like they whoever make so else. much money in syndication so much like money, billions right? of dollars <laughs> yeah it's nuts but that's the, the only reason that became passive income for them is they they ended the show ironically right Right. But as long as you're building, as long as you're growing, as long as you're scaling, like, I'm sorry, I don't know too many people that are honestly doing that and not working and usually working pretty hard. It doesn't Mm -hmm. always have to be crazy hard. It gets easier, but it's not like you can't just disappear. No, not really. No. Again, the the, the growth stops or or at some point you basically just become an investor, which is like this whole other Mm -hmm. thing, right? Where you just pay other people to make money for you. I mean, anyone of a stock portfolio is doing that. I mean, I pay Elon Musk to go make cars right. and then I get, you know, some minuscule percentage of Tesla's return simply by being in the stock market. Which, you know, can be part of your long-term strategy. It's part of my long-term strategy, right? It's like generate cash now and invest in other things so that in the future you can decide to be passive or not. <laughs> to your point, you said it's not that these aren't viable business models, they absolutely are. And and you can't possibly really know what you're getting into until you get into it. But just know that, you know, anything that's w- going to be valuable is, is going to require that input up front. And I think, you know, the the marketing messaging is kind of messing with our brains a little bit. I mean, I know it's messed with mine. I mean, I, I'm in the trenches with all of these things. And I'm also such a sucker for sales copy. Like I also <laughs> look at ads and I'm like constantly reading ads and be like, oh, they found something. You know, and Steve is like, stop it. You're not gonna buy. <laughs> they don't have some answer. Because at this point I've done enough stuff where I do buy like lots of those little like just to see what they're saying. And you know, it's just kind of fun to see. But they wrapped it in a new <laughs> story that got me. I I mean as a marketer, I I wanna be as I want to be honest, you know, I, I would never want to lie in any sort of messaging and to market you, you've got to, you've got to show the shiniest part. Back when I was a real estate agent, like 15 years ago in New York city, I learned, that's where I learned this because they, they were a little skeevy. The people that I worked for, they were teaching me. So they were like, you know, you got to put up these photos that are kind of not really, they're not real. 
because nobody's going to call the real photos because New York City apartments suck. <laughs> you know, like they're way, ex- they're very expensive for not a lot. So if, so I would be like, no, I can do it. Like I'll go and I'll take really nice pictures and nobody would ever call me on the real, on the real apartments. Like you had to put up something that was too good to be true to get the calls. If only because other people were doing it. So, well, I'm not going to call you if this other person is selling me, you know, cheap, easy and, and no effort and you, all the success, I, I'm not going to, hire the person. I'm not going to buy from the person who just tells you like, actually, this is really hard. (laughs) It takes a long time. (laughs) And so what are we supposed to do with that as marketers? Yeah. I mean, I feel your pain (laughs) tremendously. And of course, that's especially the case in anything related to making money, right? Because that's like, one of one of those like top three like niches of all time like most competitive most money most everything so of course you have people overselling things all day long i definitely believe that you can do all these things and you can do them without stooping to misleading people basically that can absolutely be done but you definitely also feel like there are people out there that are gonna at least in the short term, make a ton of money basically by way overselling the vision. Mm-hmm. And there, there, there's almost like no way around it. But I think in, a, in the long term, you know, you, you, a lot of them you see come and go, some kind of stay and it is what it is. But that's where you kind of have to start making some decisions with your business, right? And that's where like, for example, that's one thing I love about running an agency is I control the client's result, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not counting on the student being successful with my material there because we basically do it all for the client and mm-hmm. we pick clients that aren't going to get in our way, basically. So at, at that point, like it's essentially a 100% success rate. And I love that because I, I just love being able to deliver that outcome. Mm-hmm. And then the more it becomes like a course or a book or something like that, then you also don't really control the outcome of that, right? So it's like this whole other aspect of it where what you're selling might even be true, but that still doesn't guarantee they're going to get a result, right? And it's sort of the kind of thing where I think it just becomes a gradient of like, you know, I I think you have to tell them the truth. You have to put the best possible light on it and you have to do something that you're going to be happy with. And like, if you wake up every day just feeling you're on the wrong side of that, that you're not feeling like this is a business you're happy with, that you don't sleep well at night, then you got to correct course until you do. And everyone's going to have a different line for that. So unfortunately, there isn't like, oh, if you just do this, then it's fine. And like one way around this to like just pick a niche where it's easier for the client to get a success, right? Even from like whatever you're giving them. For example, if you're just selling like something like the stock photos are a great example because it's so transactional. You get fantastic stock photos. You know what you're getting. You don't have to go and start a business and make a bunch of money and find clients to get used from this. You just, you got your stock photos. And, you're not and expecting the stock photo to make, to do the heavy lifting, you mean? Yeah, yeah. the stock photo is not, telling you you're going to make 100k a year because you bought their stock photos it's a stock photo they're nicer they're more on brand whatever it may be examples like that i I think are easier than when you have to teach someone how to do something and i think that just becomes this very fascinating topic but also a very difficult topic yeah it's an interesting position to be in because so much of my client's success is on them showing up and doing the work, you know, and and a million other things like <laughs> their execution. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, so what I've come, what I've concluded, having been in lots of programs and been coached by lots of people and what I have come to learn or come to, I've, I've arrived on is that there's, from the outside, I used to think of the coach as being much less, like much more detached. And I feel like I see it so differently now, maybe because I'm in this position where I feel like it's one of the hardest things to do to try to support people in learning how to do something because there's that whole other aspect of it, which is the person themselves, you know, and being the support of somebody, not just to teach them 
hat, you know, two plus two is four. But like, and if you aren't getting that, like, how do I get inside your psyche to help you step up to do this work? Or if you're not doing it because something about it scares you or intimidates you, or you you have some preconceived notion about how this should be going. So if it doesn't go that certain way, you feel defeated. Like all of that is like really heavy emotional stuff (laughs) that as a coach, like we take that on. And I try not to. It's hard not to, but it's 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 hard not to. It's hard not to take that stuff on because you feel responsible for the people that you're coaching. But a lot of this stuff, you can't control it. And so I, I see it totally differently now. I've done a bunch of coaching with students and it's super rewarding. Yeah. But at the same time, it's exactly what you say. Because I think really what you come down to, what if a person is going to succeed or not, and what are the reasons they're not going to succeed or didn't succeed, it never really has to do with the material itself, in my opinion, or, you know, they just didn't get the material mm-hmm. or they're not, you know, math is too hard for them or something. Like, I feel like the educational piece is not rocket science in any way, but where the, the flop inevitably is either psychological or execution, right? So like you started talking about things like getting discouraged. I think discouragement kills a lot of business, right? Mm. Because it's hard, right? So like, for example, when you're starting a service-based business, you kind of have to go into it with the mindset that you're going to get rejected a whole bunch. And those first few clients that you're going to get statistically are probably not going to be great clients. Like, I'm sorry, right? You're, you're going to get out of it. You're going to get your money. You're going to learn a ton of amazing lessons. But all the really good stuff is still in your future, right? And you kind of have to grind out the really bad stuff. And if you're someone that struggles with that and gets discouraged easily. And this is where you kind of get back into the marketing messaging because so-and-so said this is supposed to be easy and here I am struggling. So then you give up, like that's what happens. Or they were never really in it to begin with. That's kind of the, the next likely failure mode where they really got caught up in the idea of being like a 100K freelancer, but they weren't committed, right? And it's kind of hard to describe that. But you have Mm -hmm. someone that really believes they're going to do it and they're going to put in the work. And you have someone that likes the idea of doing it, but they haven't made that mental shift to, I'm actually going to take steps every day. So they're going to be going and buying your course. And a week later or a month later or two months later, they're going to be telling you that they bought this other thing to start a membership site, let's say, (laughs) or suddenly they're in an MLM or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, (laughs) clearly you weren't really invested in this. You just want the result, but you didn't choose this as your calling. And that becomes really difficult because you can't do all these different things. You got to have laser focus, right? And And then I guess the third thing related to that is just execution period where people just let themselves off the hook. Right. So every day you hear something different. Oh, the kid was sick and I had to do this and I had to take my grandma to the store. And like they they just carry like life's burdens Mm. with them from week to week and nothing gets done. And it's stuff like that. Then I think when you're coaching, it's like that's what you end up spending all your time working through and and personally i think like i don't i personally don't think every person will succeed i'm I'm sorry to say that but sometimes like you're just not ready to do this or it's not your calling so that is where yeah coaches have that difficult burden because they're trying to bring you to that success line but they're like you said they're not actually the ones doing it which again as the agency it's nice because we can just take this away from you client and do it for you and boom you're going to be successful yeah absolutely you're so on point with that and you know it's not mean to say that not everyone's going to succeed i think these days so many people go into entrepreneurship because it's been held up as this holy grail like everyone is supposed to do it you know and i i feel a little like that. I'm like, everyone should want to do this. Like, why wouldn't you? This is the ultimate in personal growth and like, and, you know, growing yourself as a person and also achieving something that is very fulfilling. It's like building your own thing, but it doesn't mean that it's everyone's cut out for it. You really, you have to have a deeper motivation to do it. I don't think it can just be because I want to make a lot of money for my family and, even like, because I want to have freedom in my life. I think you have to have a personal just desire to be really good at the thing that you do. 
hundred percent. And and with that, you also have to just believe that you're in control of your destiny. Which I mean, there there's two types of people in it. There's actually like a term for this, but I'm blanking on it right now. But not everyone necessarily feels like they're the ones that are in control of what happens to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the other mindset where it's like my boss's fault, right? I have a crappy boss, I have a crappy job, I have this, I have that, or I was successful because this other event happened. Basically, oh, it's an it's an external locus of control mm-hmm. versus an internal locus of control. Yep. So they feel it's things happening to them, whether they're good things or bad things. It, it's external and they're not sort of the actor making those decisions whereas someone with an internal locus of control is the opposite where they bring a lot of I can change this I can do this I get to decide how this goes and I think if you have that external locus of control that's okay we're not here to make everyone think the same way but I think that would definitely be a red flag for being an entrepreneur because <laughs> yes. as an entrepreneur, like that, it's basically the opposite. Like the buck stops with you, no matter like if you, if your employees screwed up, guess what? You're still responsible, yep. right? You hired them, you gave them the training, you know, there, there's nothing that you're not responsible for. And that's one of the things like I've noticed, like with some business owners struggling is they just, they don't want all that personal responsibility. Like it sucks, right? Like, why would you take that on? And that's why, like, to your point, like, if all you want is money, I mean, one, there's other ways to make money, right? Go, go learn tech, arguably. right? Go work for Google, yeah. right? Go, go, go to Silicon Valley, get like the quarter million and up salary and retire in 10 years. Don't, don't go starting a business. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love how you just phrased that. And it, I want to say it's the, like the first chapter of the seven habits of highly effective people, because I distinctly remember reading this particular story, I think it was in that book, where it reframed the idea of, you know, it's like a very common, I was like my early 20s at the time, so I really relate to this, this really common feeling of, oh, I'm I'm at this job and I really, ugh, I don't like my boss, right? Or my boss sucks or Mm. someone's, you know, breathing down my neck. And the, the reframing was how this is your choice and your you know, not your fault, but your responsibility. It's like, well, well, no, but I need this job. Well, why do you need this job? Well, because I have to pay my rent. Well, what, you know, well, why do you have to live there? You know, well, because I I want a roof over my head and I want food and I want this kind of, okay, so these are all choices that you're making. You want all of these things and you're also choosing to have this job. You could get another job. You could not work. You could probably live on people's couches for quite a long time. (laughs) Okay. Like there's a lot of more options out there than you think, but a lot of people can be stuck in this and we all do it in different ways, stuck in this feeling. I, I like what you said, locus of external locus of control, like the idea that these things are being done to you and actually almost everything in your life is, is in your control. And you really can make a decision to say, you know what, I don't need to live here, eat that or have this job. I could do something completely different. But even just freeing yourself from the idea that these things have to be. Yeah, I think you're right. That's like a critical, critical characteristic of being an entrepreneur if you want to be successful, because you are going to come up against that every day. Yeah. And the story you told is just so wonderful because that's exactly it. And I think that's like a muscle you have to train in your brain, like asking those questions. And it's kind of also like a very first principles mindset, right? Because you have to kind of whittle down the decisions you're making back to, okay, what is it that I'm actually trying to solve? Where is it I'm trying to get to? Like you very quickly get to uncomfortable questions. Mm -hmm. Like, why do I have to live there? Why do I have to be in this job? And for whatever reason, those aren't questions I think people are even trained to ask, much less asking them. And I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there's still tons of stuff I struggle with, right? And that's where things like having other business owners or other people, they don't have to be business owners, that you can have these discussions with are really important. Like I have a weekly mastermind group where it's just me and three other business owners that are kind of all roughly at the same level. And like, it's great because like, it's interesting because you can struggle with a problem all week long and just be wrapped up in your thoughts and convinced it's like this or this or this. 
and that's what you kind of have to do. And then you start explaining that to other people, and it becomes very similar to what you just described, right? Where as soon as you hear the words coming out of your <laughs> mouth, even before anyone calls you on it, sometimes it's even like, "Oh crap, <laughs> my assumptions are just completely wrong," right. right? Or they'll call you on it and say, "Well, why does it have to be like this at all?" And then, like, if you don't have like a really good reason why you want this, or why do you even have to grow? Why do you have to hire someone? Why is it this type of person? It really just forces you to really think through where you're trying to get to, and and for sure, like if more people did that, I, I think overall it just be happier. Oh yeah, it, definitely uncomfortable places, and definitely despite being super aware of this happening all the time to me, <laughs> it's not like you, <laughs> you're not immune from it just because you're aware of it. I think the I think the conclusion of that story was. Not necessarily that you need to quit, but that even just seeing it like that means, oh, like actually, I'm choosing to be in this job. Maybe I don't like how this boss is being, but now I'm actually more in control when I'm here. Like I, this is not happening to me. Like I'm choosing to be around this person that maybe I don't like because it gives me all of these things that I want. Like so, it, it you know, even if it's, it can either force you to see how many more options you have so you could make a different choice or it can f force you to just accept which, what's going on but see it in a totally different and much more positive way which is like these are all my choices and I'm actually okay with them because your whole life can't be perfect all the time <laughs> so maybe it's okay and and so I love that yeah I love that you <laughs> put it out there to like it's it's about re constantly just seeing that mirror Maybe it's like a mirror, yeah. something like a mirror. Yeah, and, and it's it's good to have that mentality, for example, of bad clients, because everyone listening to this podcast is going to end up with a bad client, yes. probably a bunch as you go through it. And originally, I mean, I was like everyone else, right? And like, I, I, I just like cursed my luck and was unhappy with it and just made me a miserable person. But like these days, like if a project really goes south, then I'm actually grateful for it because it's such a huge opportunity to like really dig into what went wrong and then use those learnings for future growth. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't mean that in like, like a really fuzzy way, like actually like implement those lessons and build a stronger business as a result. And when I look at like how I got to where I am today, I mean, a lot of those lessons were learned the hard way they were earned lessons but eventually those projects were done we got to move on and we got to take that learning with us so like i always think of like have you been following spacex with all their like starship launches N not closely i mean i read his biography well you're, you're you're missing you're missing a lot of cool stuff happening okay. in space right now because they're they're trying to get this new spaceship launched called starship okay. right and built right completely new vehicle and they've taken a very interesting approach to its development that's a lot more like software silicon valley based where traditionally like you'd spend like years and years building a rocket and then you'd really really hope that it launched hopefully successfully on the first try and if not on the second and if not well it better be on the third because you run out of money at this point right they're big complicated mm -hmm. multi-year projects whereas what spacex said is like forget all of that we're not even going to build like a complete rocket we're going to build like the minimal thing that will hop up 10 kilometers in the air. And we're going to build a production facility where we can rapidly and cheaply build these things. So we know the first like X number of prototypes are going to blow up, they're going to fail. But with each one, we're going to learn a really valuable lesson. And then we're just going to iterate constantly. And that's why it's so exciting to watch because they've basically just gone from announcing this thing to like now they're making all these landing attempts and blowing stuff up along the way, which is exciting too but it's like they, they've basically just shifted the model on its end they're saying like we're not just going to spend years trying to chase perfection we're going to iterate quickly and even if you're not building a space company that's incredibly valuable because it's the same way with like service businesses right like or any business like you can spend a lot of time stuck in your head trying to make that perfect thing and then beat yourself up when it doesn't work or you can come at it from a completely different mindset, which is that it's not gonna work, probably. And that's okay, because then version two might. And if version three doesn't, then so on, so on. And you just keep iterating. And if I can go back and like change anything about the way that I built my business, I think 
our cycle of iteration wasn't fast enough. I stuck with the same type of client too long. I was too slow to shift the types of clients that we serve. I made decisions that were not easy to reverse, like getting an office. And if you do away with all that stuff and just like treat every week, every month as like a blank slate, what can we do better? Then you just end up in the same like successful place, but a lot faster. I love that you said that. And I did a similar thing, although it, it wasn't as... It was much it was iterative. That's really how we built the brand up. It wasn't it wasn't so much pivoting, so I think it was probably a safer version like you know, playing to my more controlling like wanting things to go in a linear fashion even though it never does, but the iteration the iterative process of starting with this one day intensive and then every single time we did it again or at, or rather at the end of every single one sitting down and being like, okay, how did that go? What went right? What could have been better? What went wrong? Let's fix it. The next time we're going to do it, and it's going to be a little bit better. And we're going to be able to raise the price and, you know, increase the value of our business by doing this. And I think I, because I'm, I consult and coach with so many people, I see the differences between people who are willing to put themselves out there in a position where they know it's very likely that it's not going to go perfectly because they, hello, have never done this before. So whatever this thing is, like, this is the first time it's not going to be perfect. And those who really try to be perfect before they go out there, which to your point, it's like never going to be perfect without the client. You can't possibly preempt everything that's going to happen. So you're going to get to that much better pro prototype or that much better version of your business you're going to get there so much faster if you're willing to fail fast. Go out there, try it, fail fast, iterate, and move on. I love, I love that. Well, awesome, Matt. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. So I loved what you wrote. We have, we have this like little intake that we have guests send before. And you were like, I've got this awesome thing to offer your audience, but I also have other stuff. So I'm going to make a game time decision. So, so based <laughs> on what we just chatted about, what's your game time decision? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so based on the fact that you're serving mostly service-based businesses, yeah. I'm going to say probably the biggest value for your audience is go to freelancetransformation.com. And right on that homepage, you can sign up for my email list. Because again, info products, that's the core of it. But then you will get a drip of free material, basically building your client base, building your service business in a way that's sort of a little more methodical mm. than just kind of starting out and doing stuff and hoping to succeed. So again, it's it's very focused on what I've seen work and what I've seen not work. And especially if you're trying to get your first clients, then obviously, uh, I think that'd be very good for you. And then if you are into membership sites and online businesses and so on, well, you know what, I'll just say check out tiltedpixel.com. That's my agency. And there you will find lots more information, including a different newsletter that you can get on with information on how to grow your membership site. Love it. Two newsletters? <laughs> the, well, the ugly secret for me is I'm very good at writing those initial sequences. I'm not so good at the ongoing mailings. Those are really tough. <laughs> so I feel that pain. <laughs> Sounds great. Yes. Especially if you're looking to get those first clients. Matt and I are so aligned on like everything we talk about. And so if you like my stuff, you'll definitely like Matt's stuff. And particularly if you have are having a hard time getting those first clients, I'll definitely go and check out uh, Freelancer. Uh, freelancetransformation.com Thanks so much for joining us Matt, it was a pleasure catching up with you. Thanks so much Pia, this has been a ton of fun As Matt mentioned, go to freelancetransformation.com for more info about building your service business and particularly about getting those first few clients and if you want more info on building a membership site, go to tiltedpixel.com I will link to both of those in the show notes now, as you may know by now, I'm starting to take questions from you, the listeners, and I am offering personal coaching from me in return. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts, include a question, and if I answer your question on the show, I will invite you to schedule a free 15-minute chat with me where I can help you unstick your brand or your business. So go leave a review right now and let's chat. Also, while you're there, 
you might as well hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss. And if you love this show, please share it with a friend. That would be nice. Taking inspiration from my conversation with Matt today, do you have a process for iterating on your business? Like, do you have dedicated time where you sit down and you look at what worked and what didn't work with your last client so that you can improve for the next client? Steve and I used to have a meeting set after every single brand up to go over ways to improve. And that's how we raised the value and the price of our services so quickly. You're never going to get it perfect on the first try. But if you take each experience and you learn from it and you improve, you can build a really boss business pretty quickly. And that might just be your next step to showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafeld. Production assistance by Kristen Runvik. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. 